How you like your bacon? Uh, as you got through there, you know, I know there's some five and six. Uh, I don't understand. Uh, but I'm, I'm right about two. I, I, I could go for three, two or three. You know, we got that. How many are with me? Two or three. Okay, there, there's, okay that's good. That's good. Some of you are in unity. Um, okay, next. Uh, eggs, they're scrambled. There's uh, sunny side up, over hard, and over easy. Now, this is a clear choice because every culinary person, a true chef, will tell you there is only one way to serve eggs, and that is D, with it runny, and that's the way it should be. So we don't have to, uh, don't have to even discuss that. That is already decided. And finally. And finally, this last one, which you should know by now how I feel about this last one. There should be no coffee. Uh, but, but you know what? Okay, okay. I, I, I've got some grace here. So, you know, in this coffee, you got black all the way through with what's, what's going on here. Uh, as you think about this, you've made your decisions. Uh, for all those who would be willing to, uh, the, for all those who pick two, D, and with none of the above, I just want to welcome you to fellowship. <laughs> and I just want to let you know that here, here's what we do. Just get in line behind me. When the service is over, just get in line behind me. And the rest of you, psh, get out of here. Don't want anything to do with you. Don't come back. You know, I, now, I'm just joking, but it's not a joke. Because this kind of thing happens. This kind of thing happens all the time. Where we have defined unity by just getting in line behind one another exactly. You follow, you pick what I got, you go out. In fact, some will even tell pastors, you know, pastor, you just need to just, not just preach, you just need to tell people what, what, and tell them, get in line. Get in line behind me, you know, do do this and do that. You tell them every little thing that they should do, every little thing that goes on in their life, you just tell them until the pastor says something where they're out of line. Whoa, don't want to hear that. You know, verse 3 is specifically saying to us to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, which is especially important in our day and age right now when our not only is our country divided, but so many different ways Christians have been sucked into the world's attitude that is threatening the unity. In fact, it could be said today in many places what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. To some extent, I believe that's true around us. We've already established last week the essential importance of the church and fellowship. This is taking and talking about getting our fellowship in line as it deals with the importance of unity. That's spoken of so many different places. The unity that we are to have, including where Jesus himself in John 17 prayed for us. Not Jesus in John 17 spoke a word just to the disciples and how we can manipulate that and say it doesn't apply. Jesus spoke and he prayed for us. Literally, 
to be one. He prayed for us to be in unity. He prayed for unity. Are we being an answer to Jesus' prayer? How do we do that? Here's the thing. Unity is not about getting in line behind someone. Unity is about getting in line beside someone. Not just someone, but other believers is what we're talking about is unity in Christ here. The unity of spirit that binds us together. It says it binds us together in verse 3 with what? Peace. Uh, Word mean tranquility, no worries, without trouble. How's that going? How are we doing with the unity of spirit through the bond of peace in our homes, with our families, with our church families, with other believers? We, the church, are the ones to bring the Prince of Peace to those who so desperately need it out there, but our voices and our actions are not presenting a Prince of Peace. Ephesians chapter 4, as it begins in verse 1, and we urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. That calling ultimately leads us to what it means to be a Christian, to be a, a little Christ, to be that which represents who represents Christ, believers. So how do we do this? How do we keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace? In our passage today, we see specifically in verse 2, there are four different ways that we need to walk, as it's saying, I urge you to live a life, uh, the word also to walk in this way. We need to walk. And the first thing that we need to do is we need to walk together in humility. Look with me in verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. We're just going to start with each one. Walk through in humility. Humility is tricky because as soon as you think you got it, you're humble. You're not. You no longer you know, that, that's the thing. This is not just about acting outwardly like we're hung, humble or this false humility that people say, oh, no, that's okay. That's okay. You know, you don't have to say that about me. You know, that's okay. You know, we got this kind of thing that goes on where we think humility is about being modest. It's not it. Humility is about a lowliness that goes against the grain of most of us. In fact, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. And and I just want to encourage you, we're going to go back and forth, but to keep your finger here in Philippians 2, because in just a little bit we're going to come back here. But right now, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. How? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. We've probably heard it said before, and it fits right here, that it's Christ, others, and then myself. It's not about me. It's not about my wants, my wishes, my needs, my preferences, my hobby horses, my bees in my bonnet, and all the rest of those things. 
a special topic that we have. There's a sense that how I like my bacon cooked, saying that everybody has to pick that number, is really more of a personal preference. But I can justify it. I can argue. That is, don't be saying that's my personal preference, how I like bacon. That's not what it's about at all. What it's about is this is as plain as a nose on your face fact of how bacon should be. It's the truth. Bacon or any meat was never meant to be turned into charcoal. There is absolutely no culinary or nutritional point to bringing about a burnt taste. And thereby, never truly experiencing the taste that God originally intended for there to be. I mean, after all, how many of you go into a restaurant and say, I would like to have some burnt toast, please? Nobody orders burnt toast. Yeah. Well, I'm sure I'm sure you guys all talk about that person too. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. But somehow it makes sense to burn your bacon or at least get it really close to that. It makes absolutely no sense. It is not right. It is not about what I want. This is just about what is right with bacon. And I could go on trying to prove my point with even more fervor. But that is the point. That we convince ourselves that logically this is not just what I want. This is what's right. It's how everyone should think. It's how everyone should do it. But in humility, that is not the way to proceed. As we hurt unity with our pride, not just out of our self-righteousness, but of our self-being right. Saying, you know what, you're wrong. And I know that's wrong because it's based on what I've seen. And because based on what we've seen, we close off our ears to anybody else to have anything different in any different way. And not having the humility to consider before God listening to others. Not only that we might be wrong, but it might be possible that there are two perspectives looking at the exact same thing that are not mutually exclusively opposed to one another, but just coming at it from different angles. But there are times with a prideful arrogance, we put down the other side so that we can lift ourselves up. Well, we don't think if it's ourselves, it's just our side. Too often we're sacrificing unity over that which is not even biblical. In James chapter 4. Why, why do we have this? James chapter 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Our fights, our quarrels. He says, most of the time, why is that? It's because of our own desires battling within us. 
And I know there may be those who may not appreciate an illustration about a division over bacon and eggs. Pastor, you're just reducing these things to silly, trivial things. And what I have is not silly or trivial. I feel very strongly about this. And it really doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what does God think? And I believe that there are times that we are having arguments. We are having what is said here, these uh, not discussions, quarrels among us over thing that God in heaven is saying, they're arguing over bacon again or over eggs and how they should be done. Then we have this problem over things that really God himself has not spoken about. Not spoken about directly even. The omnipotent, omniscient king of the universe listening to us and the things that divide us. Are we drawing dividing lines over something that he hasn't even spoken about? Oh, but but he, but it is. He, he has. It's true. Then why is it that other Christians are claiming the opposite is true? Oh, I know the answer to that one. That's because they're not Christians. Or else they would agree with me. Or else they would get in line behind me. There are other times it is not just about our our preferences, but about our convictions, our personal convictions. Our personal convictions that at times have a biblical basis to them, although oftentimes that's stretched. And even more than that, I find when you talk with people, they you know say, well, where is that exactly in the word, this biblical conviction you have? And not to say that I don't, uh, disagree, and, and I don't even tell them that I may have the same biblical conviction. I just want to know where do you see it within the Word of God? Well, I, 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 I know it's in there. I heard somebody preach on it. Well, it doesn't matter what you heard preached on. What well, includes even from me. What matters is what's here. You know... Everyone's screaming out their biblical conviction, wanting it to be on the top of the pile. My biblical conviction. That's the one that needs to be on top. That's what we need to emphasize. That's what we... We've got to get lined up behind me instead of lining up beside me. There are many areas where true Christians have studied and come to different conclusions, but still can come to agreement on absolute foundations of the faith and in talking about unity it's not about just me being lined up beside someone unity we don't make unity or cause unity or create unity by being lined up beside one another i'm giving that as the example what it is we don't make unity period unity is ultimately not because of us it's because of christ in us there's already a unity that exists because of the Holy Spirit of God that lives within each believer. That's why we're being called here to keep the unity of the Spirit. 
not make unity, not build unity, not get unity. We've already gotten it. We've already been given it. We've been told to keep it. And when we think of unity, it's, it's not because we choose to have some practice of priority that unites with other Christians. It's not because there's a common interest or a common belief or a common bond that binds us together. Ultimately, what binds us together is our blood relationship because of the blood of Christ that joins us together, that joins us together in those things that are foundational to our faith. Those things that even are talked about here in verse 4. In verse 4, there is one body, one spirit. What makes us one? What gives us that unity? There is one. Now notice there's not a lot. There's not a lot of all these different things. There is, just as you were called to one hope, you were called to one Lord, that is Jesus. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all. And in all, we are one in the spirit in all of these areas. In each of these that is mentioned here, these foundational things, the things that deal with the gospel, that deal with the good news, the salvation. We have to have unity in. In other words, what I'm saying, not everything in life is bacon. There are some things where there is a line. But we don't need to draw that line. All we need to do is to trace over the line that God has already drawn in his word. We make like this, I'm going to draw a line about this. You know what? God's already drawn lines. He's already said what is those things that are absolutes clearly presented in his word as foundational to the faith. Somebody said, well, but what about other things? I mean, you've you got to draw a line somewhere with some of this stuff. I mean, even in humility, there's a point where, where you, you know, you, you could just go too low. You I did say, don't just think about yourselves. That means we can think about ourselves in Philippians 2. Okay, well, let's go back to Philippians 2 now. I said, just kind of hold your place there. You know, is there a limit on all this humility? You just go too far? Verse 5, we'll continue reading where we were at. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Is there a limit to humility? Jesus showed us where that limit is. To being humble, not just before God, but before others. Even when we are right, even when it is something that is a foundational truth, we don't suddenly get the right to become proud. We are to walk in humility. A humility that is not just less of me. A humility that God calls us to as we think here in Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ 
and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. If we really believed that, there would be a lot of arguments, a lot of division that would just stop. So, on a scale of 1 to 10, I just got to pick something. I'm picking the scale of 1 to 10. How would you rate your humility? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you about that. I want you to think about it, but let's move on to the next part is that we need to walk together in gentleness. Gentleness is an attitude that shows up in an action. It's something that we've already been given by the Holy Spirit, something we've been told to be clothed with in Colossians 3. Gentleness not only does not bring the boom, but it can disarm the ticking bomb in someone else. In fact, uh, in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Another word that's used instead of gentleness, that's the same word, but the, another word that's used is meekness. In some versions, they say meekness. Unfortunately, today that's not a popular word because it's associated with weakness. I'm missing completely the example of the Lord Jesus. Meekness is power under control. In, in a moment, we're going to move, it's going to talk about bearing with one another, which actually has a bearing on all of this, so to speak. And we think about meekness, and we think about gentleness in describing it. Um, there are some people who are teddy bears, right? You know, like, oh, man, they're, they're so gentle. I mean, they're just, that's just the way that, you know what? That's just their personality. That's not meekness. It, here's the thing. There are also some people who are grizzly bears. Watch your elbows. Okay. There are some people who are grizzly bears. Now, here is, in a way, to think about the biblical definition of gentleness or meekness. This is what it really is. Meekness or gentleness happens when a grizzly bear chooses to act like a teddy bear. That is meekness. That is gentleness. With one swipe, with the claws open, and take your head off. But the claws are in, and they don't even take a swipe. The power under control and gentleness that is expressed. Unfortunately, much of what has been taking place out in the world, whether it's from our media, what's going on in real life, whether it's on social media, all those things. Unfortunately, what's taking place is not gentle, but harsh. The very opposite of this word, it is mean, it is rude, it is disrespectful, it is grisly, grisly bear bullying, not just towards the problem, but towards people. People that you're either talking with or talking about. Things being said by even those who would say they're Christians. And there are so many places that the Bible talks to us or speaks to us about how we should speak. One of those is in First Peter chapter 3, 
a familiar one, hopefully, for many of you. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. We're ready to give the attention. We're ready to speak to. But do this with gentleness and respect. That's not what's happening. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. There can be a hesitancy to practice gentleness and, and to come off harsh to those who are different from us, who think differently, that act differently, that we judge that differentness is wrong. We, we think that Sunday, uh, you know, that surely everyone... Uh, thinks like we do. Surely everyone has the same experience as us and thinks that way. We don't understand. We don't understand them. We don't understand how somebody can think differently. And we don't understand that God's unity does not mean uniformity. God's unity does not mean just get in line behind. Everybody doesn't have to be like Mike. Sometimes as Christians, God has taken and made us all different parts of the body. And sometimes the eye just thinks everyone should see like they see. And, they, and the person who's the ear thinks everyone should hear just like they hear. But the elbow does not see or hear like either of those. And it is in this gentleness, gentle with the other parts, the different pieces that come together. God It's not looking for a unity where we line up behind because we're each made unique, not the same. And his intent was for us to line up beside one another. So as you think about this, how would you rate your gentleness and what it really is? How would you rate your gentleness? All right, let's move on to number three. We need to walk together in patience. Patience holds on. Patience holds back. It does not strike back. Patience is self-controlled and restrained. Uh, Here's a place where we can keep the unity by actually keeping our mouth shut. At least initially. So much damage is done by just reacting without having the patience to step back and to think through how we're going to respond or even if we're going to respond. Not just to react, but to double check with the word and with the spirit, whether what we're going to say is Christ-like, but also whether what we're going to say is going to bring about Christ-like results. Or is it just that I get to say it, I'm going to say it. It's right. But will it bring about the right that God wants? Or will it just create a divide? Too often our impatience gives out this fleshly reaction. And what happens? We receive back an opposite and equal reaction that is of the flesh. Instead of a godly response getting to a godly goal. Too often our responses are either fight or flight. Instead of just holding patiently, responding in a way that that can be right in our relationship with others and keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. But, 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 but I'm right, somebody says, right, and this is foundational. 
Even when that's true, we have never been given a license to damage relationships on behalf of truth. We're not given a license to tear down someone. And to divide. Have you ever heard someone say, you know, I I got no patience for that. Or specifically, I got no patience for them. I just got no patience for people like that. Here's the thing. That is never God's choice. And that technically should not be said by anyone who is a Christian. Because each person who comes to Christ has been given the Holy Spirit and with that Holy Spirit comes the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. To say, I got no patience for that, for them. Incorrectly, we make patience about our mood. I, you know what? I know, I know. I was just in a mood today. I was easily irritated, ticked off. I got a short fuse. Patience is not about any of those things. It's not about a mood. Patience is about the fruit of the Spirit that He gives to every Christian to walk in the Spirit with. And when we are impatient, we are walking in the flesh and give rise not only for division, but give rise for the enemy to get a foothold. There are some who would say, well, I, I know there's times that I was in my flesh. Yes, yes, I fly off the handle. But, but you know, this time I'm justified. I'm right. I, I'm, it's right to be impatient. Uh, I, I didn't say anything that wasn't true. Again, where's the humility, gentleness, and patience? When we say things, nothing really got better except, oh, I felt better than I said it. That's flesh. You see, what we're talking about in patience, another word that's used here is long-suffering. It's the same word. And that long-suffering is what God has for us. It's what God has for us. In fact, uh, it's what holds back His wrath. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We need to recognize that, you know, we seem to think that, well, there is a point. I I, I can be patient to a point. After that, you know, you just better watch out. I am patient to a point. What is that point? When God said, this is about being long-suffering, not easily provoked, it fits in with what was talking about the rest of part of this verse is bearing with one another, putting up with one another. Well, I, I put up with enough, someone says. I'm drawing the line. I'm done. I'm not going to put up with it anymore. I'm done being patient. Okay. What if at that exact moment, God says, when you make that choice, I'll go ahead and make the choice to be done being patient with you. How many of us really want that? And for those people who don't understand that and think, oh yeah, that's fine, then you obviously don't understand God's patience with you, His forbearance, His love, His mercy, His grace. 
When we make that decision about somebody else, what if God decides that about us? We don't want that. And we're to be reflecting God's love, God's patience, His long-suffering as it deals with this. We don't give up easy on people. We not only endure them, but we endure with them as God is working in them. God is being patient and working on them. We should join God and be patient as he's working in them. With patience often comes understanding because we have time to listen, to draw near instead of push people away. That doesn't mean we're always going to agree, but we can always be patient. I think about patience that is needed even as we talk about reopening the church, the church building. We've all been open. We've been doing ministry. It's been happening. But when we talk about doing, uh, reopening the church building, I, I've spent hundreds, plural, hundreds of hours reading, listening, talking, with all kinds of different perspectives in all kinds of different places of what, from people with the churches to the government, all these kind of things, hundreds and hundreds of hours dealing with all of this. The elders have spent countless hours praying, reading, discussing, planning. We've all spent that time in the Word as it deals with this and with Him in prayer to try to figure out what is the best way that we can do this and glorify God. And yet the reality is in many churches, whether they're open or not open, there are people that disagree with whatever decision you make. It's wrong. It's wrong to do this. It's wrong not to do this. It's wrong. Or maybe it's not just the whole thing about whether to reopen. It's the way you reopen and the way it gets done. There's always going to be those. But hopefully we choose to walk in patience with one another. Because even what we're going through now, even compared to our earthly life, is a relatively short time, let alone comparing it to eternity. Because if we allow something like this to divide us, then we just feed into the devil's plan. We just feed right into what he wants to make happen and accomplish. Now, even with all the time that we spent, the reality is humbly, we are not perfect. And we're not going to make every perfect decision or think through every single detail. Let's face it, I've been doing this pastor thing for a long time. We haven't had to do this before. They didn't teach this in seminary. Uh, not to mention any place else. But in grace, we move forward to be led by the Spirit. And I, I just want to make it clear, I did in the first service, especially those who are listening online. This is not the pastor ranting because there's a bunch of people who are upset and in arms, up in arms about something. If they are, I don't know. So this is not, it's not a reactionary message. I don't do that. But it is a reality of what happens out there and what's going on. You know, perhaps there are some churches that, that are able to say, we don't have any divisions or disagreements. You know, why is that? There could be a number of reasons. Well, one of the reasons that 
there's no divisions or disagreements is because nobody's been patient long enough with others to actually stick around or let them hang around. Instead, all the burnt bacon people left and went to the first church of burnt bacon. That's not unity. Especially when they go to that church and only stay long enough to find out that that church serves coffee with cream and other assorted things, corrupting the true and pure coffee taste that God originally created it to be. But the good news is if you look hard enough, you will be able to find the second church of burnt bacon and black coffee. As we draw our circle smaller and smaller and smaller. Through our impatience, not striving together for unity, to keep the unity of the spirit. So again, the question is, how would you rate your patience? Your long suffering. Move on. We think about love. Walking together in love. Love, it really encompasses all these things that we've talked about. Each of these four, each of these other three fit in. Everything that we've talked about fit in with love. In fact, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that love part 4, four, four through 7, and love is often said to people and couples and others and family relationships, this is what we're to be. We're supposed to love. This is not something that's read at weddings. This is who we are and how we're supposed to be. Just put your name in there wherever you see love. Tim is patient, Tim is kind, Tim is love. Oh, this is who we are to be as we're walking with each other. And oftentimes when unity is lost and peace is broken, it is because love is missing. As we attack the person, not the problem, prejudging, labeling, cutting down along with name calling. In verse 1, we're told to live a life worthy of calling we received. Our walk, our behavior, the calling. What is the calling we received? What is it that we are, are called to most of all? What is it Jesus said were the first and second greatest commands? Not just to love the Lord our God, but to love others as ourselves. In fact, Jesus himself in John chapter 13, verse 35 says, By this all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how people will know that you're Christians, by the love that you have for one another. But what are we known for? Now, I'm not even asking what some people's opinion. I know everybody has opinions out there, some of which are not based on any fact or truth. It's just their own prejudice. But what, when you talk to Christians, do they want to be known for? You know, what is what is the goal? Uh, what is the goal of church to be known for? Oftentimes we want to be known for this, for this thing, for this biblical conviction, or just for conviction. We want to be known for the truth. We hold to the truth. I'm not saying that any of those things are necessarily wrong, but what should we be known for according to Jesus? And when we're not known for that, And our goal is really not to be known for that, but for all these other things, we're missing the mark. God is challenging us in this unity. And I know we say, but but, but, uh, we got all these excuses, all these things. To have this kind of love, this agape love that's spoken of here, that is as Christ loved. 
So on a scale of 1 to 10, let's judge ourselves as we speak about being judged so that we don't have to be judged, so to speak. And as you're putting down a rating on each of these things, how we're doing, uh, 1 to 10, let's, let's keep in mind, God does not just look at the actions. He looks at the attitude. God looks at the heart. And some people say, you know what? I, I'm pretty, pretty patient. You know, I, 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 I score myself pretty high there. I, I really just don't lose it all over anybody. I, I stay patient. On the outside, but on the inside, you're boiling. On the inside, you're thinking, come on, get it. What is wrong with you? On the inside, you're thinking, move it. God looks at the heart as well. So how do we rate? How do we go? How do we do? And some people say, well, you know, I got like a six, a seven. It's not too bad, except what this verse says here in Ephesians 4 is that we should be doing this by making every effort. To make every effort. This is not just doing our best, but it's that word means to give an all-out intense effort, exerting ourselves from the inside out. So as we judge ourselves about how we're doing with humility, gentleness, patience, love, and keeping the unity of the Spirit, are we doing that in such a way that it's striving with everything we got or we're just expecting it's supposed to happen? Because we are not striving with everything we got, like it says, to put all our effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. I guarantee you there is someone who has given an all-out effort to get the opposite. And that is the devil himself who wants to divide. The devil himself that is looking for someone to devour. The devil himself that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. So we got to make a decision. Because he's already out there working, giving his effort. What about us? I ask the worship team to come. As we think about on that scale of 1 to 10, how are we doing striving for that unity, the bond of peace? Here's the thing. As they're coming, we need to understand this. I say this, but it is the unity of the Spirit. It is not something that we can do even of ourselves. We can recognize where we fall short, whatever number it might be, but to recognize to get that number to go up requires us surrendering to the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to do the work in us. For Him to give us, He has given us this to increase that, to help it to grow within us. It's not something we can build or manufacture on our own. It is the Holy Spirit that keeps us in line with the Word of God. It is the Holy Spirit that can then keep us in line beside one another and not just divide up behind. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us in this, that you'd speak in each of these areas. Lord, that we need to surrender. We need to to sacrifice before you those places of pride. We're not gentle. We're impatient. We're not loving. We're not really striving towards that. Speak as you've been speaking. Help us to settle that with you now, to seek you even this moment here. Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father, fall upon us, move.